So, this morning, though, as we continue in Hebrews 11, we have a little bit of a different feel. I'm going to read our section for us, and you tell me what's different if you've been involved between this week and all our previous weeks. Beginning in verse 32, Hebrews 11, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now just pause right there if you're you're reading along in the scriptures. What's different about that than everything we've done thus far? Well, it's thus far, we have been taking really one week at a time on each individual. Now, what's he do this time? He just throws it all out there. I liken it to the fact that when our kids used to go trick-or-treating, they're too old for that, but when they used to go, they'd come home with all the candy like last Monday night, and then on Tuesday after dinner, we'd say, okay, go get your bag of candy and pick out your favorite piece, and you can have a piece, and Tuesday, Wednesday night, you can have a piece, and Thursday night, you can have a piece, and Friday night, you can have a piece, and, and three weeks, weeks later, you know what we're saying? Just dump it out. You can have as much as you want. Because this is going to take us to Easter if we do it a piece at a time. You know, don't pile. This is what the writer's doing, right? He's gone. Time's going to fail me. This chapter's never going to end if I keep the practice that I've been doing. Some of you have thought, is this series ever going to end? And I actually debated. Hey, should I go against what the author did here? And so did I say, well, he said David and everybody else. I'm just going to do David, and then we're going to do Samson, and then do Jephthah, and then Barak. And you'll be like, oh, my word, by faith, whatever for the rest of my life. So it's really, what are we doing? He's going, this is taking forever. Let's just dump out the bag. He dumps, he dumps, he empties the whole bag of all the goods, throws all the Tootsie Rolls, if you will, because that's usually what's left at the bottom. He throws it all out there. Together, with one overriding theme, what's all filled the bag? Well, it's very simple. It's a, it's a summary of the simply saying history. He just runs through hundreds of years with snaps of a finger. History is filled with examples of God working supernaturally on behalf of his people. Sometimes he names the people as he dumps out the bag. Other times he names the events. But he's just dumping it all out there, not taking it a piece at a time any longer. Because he's gone, we could go on forever. That's how full history is of God supernaturally intervening on behalf of his people. Now we've said all along that Hebrews 11, all these stories, whether we take them a piece at a time or dump out the whole bag, Hebrews 11 was written for Hebrews 10 type people. Now, I've said that maybe so often that you don't even know what that means anymore. So what does it mean that Hebrews 11 was written for Hebrews 10 type people? It means all of these single pieces and now the whole bag being dumped out, all these examples of God supernaturally intervening in the lives of his people, miraculously working, he's laid it all out there for 
people who are experiencing what Hebrews 10 says. So let's go back and remind ourselves. Hebrews 10, the last part of that chapter says, but remember the former days when, after being enlightened, in other words, after God turned the light on for you and you were born again by trusting in Jesus for your salvation, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. And then jump down. He gets to the point. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So why has he dumped out all of this candy? All of these, you know what the candy is. All these stories of God supernaturally intervening. Why is he pouring it all out for them? Because they are suffering hardship or people that they love are suffering hardship. And what is always the temptation when we suffer hardship? To lose confidence in God. See, people who are, te- people are tempted to throw away confidence because of suffering, whether that's their suffering or the suffering of those that they love. Has suffering ever kicked you in the gut? One of those two ways? It's interesting as I was reading this and reflecting on it personally, I've thought, yes, I've had a few kicks in the guts personally, but a lot of my kicks in the guts have been other people who have suffered. When I was the youth pastor here, a good friend, Tommy Ullum, loved the Lord, died at age 23. We had asked and asked and asked God to heal him. It's a kick in the gut. Never forget going to the hospital and being with a 35-day-old baby who died. Ah, terrible. Suffering with. I wouldn't ever put myself in the same situation as the mom and dad in that room. But my own kick in the gut in that. Just this week, a relative of one of our staff members found out that their eight-year-old had a brain tumor, six months to live. Do you suffer with that? Yeah, and and you understand whether that's you or it's someone you love, when that happens, and especially when it seems to feel like it's piling up, we're tempted to throw away our confidence in God. That's what suffering does. It causes us to think, God, don't you, don't you see? Don't you care? Don't you know? Why aren't you doing the miraculous? See, he's, he's dumping this out piece by piece for a while. Now he's emptying the whole bag so that we wouldn't lose confidence that history is filled with God miraculously intervening those who are getting kicked in the gut by suffering. 
And Hebrews 11 is written to remind us God is not blind. He does see. And he's not distant. He's not just seeing it from afar off. He is with us. He's the God of all comfort. And he is not impotent. In other words, he's not power. I see it and know it. I just can't do anything about it. He is one who sees, cares, and is powerful to work. This is why this whole series has been so that you would, whatever's happening in your life or whatever's coming in your life, that you would be prepared to believe God in the midst of difficult circumstances. That you would, as Bailey said there, that you would have faith more. Even when the path doesn't go the direction you think it's going to go. Even though it doesn't result in what you hoped it would result in. That you would trust God more. He's dumping it out for us to see history is filled with a God who intervenes. Who does see. Who does care. Who is powerful. Who, when a man said, I know it's against the law to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to pray. And when he did that. They said, oh, no, we're going to feed you to lions. And God said, then I'll just shut the mouths of the lion. That's one of the tootsie rolls he threw out there. Shut the mouths of lions, right? Who's he talking about there? Daniel. And quench the power of fire. Guys who said, we're not going to bow down to a graven image. That's against what we believe about our God. We're not. And they said, we're going to burn you alive. And they said, well, God will save us. And if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. And they threw him in the fire. So hot that it burned to death the people who threw them in. And they stood in midst of that fire. And it didn't burn them. Because God quenched the power of fire. Multiple. I mean, there's countless folks that we could put from the Old Testament in this of escaping the edge of the sword. In weakness, made strong. Think of Gideon going to battle with the ratio of 450 of them to one of us. Those are not good odds. But God makes the weak strong. See, you see him just, he's going, okay, we've taken it one by one. We've gotten all the full-size snicker bars out of the way. Let's just dump out all the Tootsie Rolls here. And it's God doing this and this and this and this. Why? Why? Why is he pouring this out in this way? So, for this reason, here's the application, that when children of God are in difficult and seemingly impossible situations, are you in any of those? Or someone you love in one of those? What can you do? Here's the whole point of Hebrews 11. You can believe that God still does the supernatural. That's why he's writing them. That's why he's pouring it all out. So that they wouldn't lose confidence. That they would be more confident. That they'd finish this chapter and go, yes, God. My faith not only remains, my faith remains strong. I believe that you still do the supernatural. You still do intervene. 
But, but we read stuff like this. And we go through the Old Testament, we see Moses and Abraham and David and Joshua, and, and we go, yeah, but that's just Old Testament stuff. You ever read that and thought, well, yeah, that's great, but that was Old Testament. And you kind of just dismiss it. It's just Old Testament. God doesn't work that way anymore. So Jesus comes along and, and he heals the sick and he cleanses the leper and he feeds thousands with the lunch and he raises the dead. And, and basically carrying around the sign that says, hey, it's just not Old Testament stuff. There's, there's New Testament stuff in the bag. So we stand in our day and we go, what? Yeah, but that was Jesus. Right? Oh, where'd that come from? Jeez. Got a little heavy on the finger, I think. Like a Jesus. Yeah, was, that, don't you ever think that? Yeah, that was Jesus. What New Testament? Oh, that was Old Testament. Oh, so Jesus did that. And then we look back. In other words, at every point, in every time frame, it is our nature to dismiss what God has done in the past and say, yeah, but that's the God of the past, not the God of the present. We must always battle the thought that God is distant, he is blind, he doesn't care, and he's not working. This Hebrews 11 was written. Not only for Hebrews 10 type people then, but Hebrews 10 type people now. People like you and I who are facing difficult, seemingly impossible circumstances, who are getting kicked in the gut with the fallenness of the world and say, God, where are you in this? And it's a reminder to us. It's running it up the fire. Believe me that I can still do the impossible. So Jesus gathers after doing the healing the sick and cleansing the leper and raising the dead. He gathers the disciples with him who'd been walking with him for, for years, and he's in the room with him. And he says, Hey, guys, I'm about to go away. And it says their hearts are troubled. They're like, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. All this stuff was happening because of you. If you leave the planet, then the supernatural leaves the planet with you. We're stuck with just us. And so Jesus, less than 24 hours before he's crucified, he, he calls them together and he says, I am leaving and life's going to be different for you. I'm not going to be physically walking with you anymore. But truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he'll do because I go to the Father. That is so hard for us to believe. You know, if Jesus would have said, hey, guys, it's been a great ride. I'm going to heaven. You guys are staying. But don't fear, you know, about 20% of what we did, you're going to keep doing. You and I believe that. We buy into 20%, right? You know what I'm saying. We might, we might buy in the whole way up to 50% for people who are really committed. Jesus is going to continue. And Jesus said, it's not going to be 20%. It's not going to be 50%. It's going to be how much? Yeah, not 100. 
120, 150%. It's going to be greater than when I was here. I am leaving the planet, but I am not taking my supernatural intervention with me. It's still going to happen through those who do what? Believe in me. Do you believe in him? Do you believe this stuff? See, quite frankly, I hope that's not been your experience here at the chapel, but quite frankly, I grew up in a setting where this would have been dismissed. No, 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 that's not what Jesus really meant. And why did we come to that conclusion? Because none of it was happening. So it couldn't have been what he meant, because we always interpret truth according to our experience. Don't write that down. That's not the truth. We should not interpret truth according to our experience. We should interpret our experience according to truth. But we tend to get it backwards. And, and so lots of us look at that and we go, ah, Jesus couldn't have really meant that. But he did mean it. And he told it to him at the exact right time. Guys, I am departing, but my supernatural miraculous work is not. It's here with you who will believe. Do do you really, do, this is what's challenging me. Is there a growing resume, if you will, of being able to say, here's how I've experienced God supernaturally at work. Not just Old Testament, not just New Testament, here, now, in this church, in this city, in my life, in the life of the people I love. Do you have anything on your resume? Or is your resume blank, therefore you can't believe this? One of my favorite Things that God has allowed me to experience is when Tim and Andrea alum, some of you met Tim and Andrea, commanded missionaries who have been with us, just went back to Indonesia. Back in 2002, they were going for the very first time. They had spent almost 10 years in Bible training, cultural training, language training to be able to be, through New Tribes Mission, be sent in to a completely unreached, out of access to the gospel tribe, learn the language, be a part of translating the scriptures, and by God's grace, a church being born there. They had spent 10 years preparing for that. Finally, after all that preparation, they begin their trek from Jacksonville to the other side of the globe in Indonesia. They go from Jacksonville to Dallas, and in Dallas, they immediately experience a problem, mechanical problem. And they work for it a few hours. After four hours, they say, I think we got, it. we got it fixed. And so they start loading them. Complete stranger walks up to Tim, hands to Tim a note, says, hey, I enjoyed watching you and your wife interact during the delay. Just wanted to give this to you. Tim had never seen him before. He opens up the note as they get on the plane, and here's what it says. I saw over you a cloud and alternately a hand. It did not seem to be a cloud of oppression as some might see it, but rather the hand of the Lord for protection, a sheltering until the appointed time, a waiting for the fullness of time. If these things bear witness with your spirit, let them encourage you to wait on God. Well, they're gone. Cool, but I don't know what that means. You know what I mean? Somebody said, maybe you've never had this, but the Lord wanted me to tell you this, and you're like, okay, that seems like really random to me. So Tim 
reads it, puts it in his pocket. They land in Los Angeles. They're meeting a couple other folks who are going to go with them on from Los Angeles to Indonesia to do the work. And while they're waiting in Los Angeles because of terrorist activity in Indonesia, they put out a travel advisory and they cannot any longer go to their destination that they had been preparing all this time for. And they're like, I mean, if you can imagine, you get delayed in the airport, you're frustrated. You've been waiting for this for 10 years. You've just finally taken some steps. So they, this little circle gathers and they pray. And as they're praying, Tim goes, oh, that note in my pocket, what did it say? He pulls it out and he reads to everybody. I saw over you a cloud and alternately a hand. It did not seem to be a cloud of oppression as some might see it, but rather the hand of the Lord for protection, a sheltering until the appointed time, a waiting for the fullness of time. If these things bear witness with your spirit, let them encourage you to wait on God. Is that supernatural? If you want to come up afterwards and try and tell me how that happened coincidentally or something like that, (laughs) you are just fighting the obvious. I put that on a category of me remembering that Jesus said, those who believe in me, I will do greater things with them. Cortez, why don't you come up, please? And Cortez Raglan is one of our members here who has experienced a greater from the Lord I'd like for him to share. Thank you, Doug. Good morning, friends. I want to share an experience that I had in prayer uh, not long ago. And uh, it'll help, I think, to give you some background. In 2005... I had surgery on my neck and then involved a fusion. And that was followed by an accident with my 80-pound lab. And uh, it damaged the uh, surgery site. And I had a lot of pain for a long time. And it it never really uh, experienced proper healing. I wake up in the morning with a stiff neck and in pain and and trying to turn my head, uh, I could hear grinding <laughs> in there. So I, was, I lived with that for a long time. And uh, a few months ago, a, group of Christ, a Christian group calls, called uh, Wise Council, uh, they brought a gentleman here by the name of Albert Lupnitz. And Albert uh, was a criminal investigator for the U.S. Army in Columbia, South America, for 30 years. And while he was there, he experienced the new birth. And at that time, uh, God made him know that he would be used as a peacemaker and that he would be given the gift of healing prayer. The other thing that he, underst- he learned at that time was that if you feel like you're getting some direction from God, God is making you know something, do it. Don't delay. Don't talk to people about it. So as a result of his obedience, uh, many, many people experienced uh, healing, God's supernatural healing. 
So while he was here, uh, Carol and I, Carol, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to uh, be with him and to have him pray for us. And when he prayed for me, he placed his hand on my neck and on my spine, and he prayed for healing in Jesus' name. And after that, uh, when I, from that point to today, I've had uh, no pain. Uh, I don't wake up with a stiff neck, and uh, when I turn my head, uh, I don't hear any grinding, which, which is the first time that had happened in 12 years. And I played a round of golf recently, which is something I've always loved to do. Uh, and I didn't experience any pain during the round, and I didn't experience any afterwards. So that's what happened. Right. I'm going to just take it from here. I'll take it from here. Okay. All right, so we, uh, I'm going to ask Cortez to go ahead and have a seat. I just want to make sure you understand. This isn't TV, so we didn't make something up here. We already took the offering, so we're not going to try and get some money out of you. If, if I... And Albert's not here. Now, here's what, I, here's what I want you to recognize. Would you agree by Cortez's testimony that God healed him? Yes. No reasonable explanation other than that God supernaturally healed him. Yes. Yes. Cortez had prayed many times asking for that in 12 years, but it did not happen. He had other people lay their hands on his neck and pray for them, including myself. Nothing changed. You think, hmm, I need to meet this guy, Albert. <laughs> the rest of the story is Cortez's wife, Carol, also, struggling health-wise, asked him to pray for her. And she wasn't healed. So what do you do with that? Let me make sure that, because I asked Cortez to share for a very specific reason. One, that we would be reminded, God is doing the greater. He is. We don't need to wrestle with that. He is doing even greater things. But the power of God doing the greater is not at the sole disposal of an individual. Albert does not get to go around and heal whoever he wants, whenever he wants. He simply prays. And God heals some, and God does not heal others. How does the Lord decide? That is one of the mysteries we'll never unravel. Did Cortez have more faith than Carol? Don't think so. They both believed and they both ask. You see, what I want you to understand is simply this. Maybe, maybe you're not like me. But for too long in my walk with Christ, I was not prepared to believe this to be true. Believe that God is doing the supernatural today. When we've talked about, this is what we saw earlier, when we've talked about the faith as an airplane, an airplane has one important wing and one irrelevant wing. 
No, that's not true. An airplane has two very important, equally important wings. In the airplane of faith, there is the wing of truth, what God has declared, and there is the wing of action. In other words, because this is true, there's corresponding action that goes with it. And if I say I believe but I don't act, I'll never have faith. So what is the truth and the action that Jesus said, I want you who believe in me to know? Here's the truth. Go back to it. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. What's the truth? The truth is, when I depart the planet, the miraculous is not, the miraculous is not leaving with me. Do you believe that God still does the miraculous? Four of you. You do. You, I, I, see, I think I would have said theoretically, but God is, by his grace, has allowed me to go, no, really, not just theoretically, not just potentially, really, he does supernaturally work in our present day. And there's Many stories actually here at CFC where people have been healed by God. We probably don't tell them enough that we would be encouraged to believe. So what is the action, the corresponding action that would go with our belief? Well, next verse. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. So when we are facing difficult, seemingly impossible circumstances, we believe that God can still do the supernatural, and we ask that he will. That, this is the truth wing. This is the action wing. This is what we believe, and this is what we do if we believe. So I was confronted, and maybe you're tracking with me now. I was confronted with ah, my reluctance to ask is rooted somewhat in the fact that I don't really believe. I believe that he can. I just don't see him doing it, so I'm not really sure. And, and <laughs> the irony that because... I'm not sure I believe. I don't really ask because I don't ask what, what doesn't happen. The miraculous. So then I conclude, I see it doesn't happen. You see the, the irony of the downward spiral? This is why James said you don't have because you don't ask. For, for some of us, our being reluctant to believe has caused us to be reluctant to ask, which has produced little to no miraculous, which has caused us to be reluctant to believe even more, more, even more reluctant to ask. You see the downward spiral? That was true for me. And then God graciously allowed me to experience and share in the supernatural. And suddenly, I was challenged to ask but still reluctant at times. Why? (laughs) 
Because if I don't ask, if I finally ask and then he doesn't do it, then we both look bad. Have you never been afraid to ask God because you might look bad and he might look bad? You ask and then, well, it didn't happen. Well, sheesh, we should have got Albert, not you. We tend to think, oh, man, it... Weak. Poor prayer. You think this because you go, hey, these people tell me, you got a more direct line. Why don't you pray for me? (laughs) That's just not true. See, so I'm reluctant. Oh, man, I might look bad, and then God might look bad. Because if, if he doesn't do it, then he looks like he doesn't keep his promises. So, <laughs> what can I ask? I can only ask what I'm absolutely certain he's going to do. That makes us both look good. But very little asking. Because of very little believing exactly. See, it's, I believe, therefore I, I ask. It, it, we, get, we get all whacked out on prayer because we have completely lost the simple definition of that three-letter word, ask. You know, you know what ask means? It's one of those words you go, yeah, of course I do. Um, and then it's kind of hard to define because there's really no, nothing but synonyms. What's it mean to ask? Well, request. Yeah, nice cinnamon. That's what it means. Uh, what doesn't it mean? It, it doesn't mean demand. Uh, sometimes I get confused, and I confuse my kids. Hey, will you take out the trash? No. Oh, whoa, 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 okay. I actually wasn't asking. I shouldn't have asked it in a question. I should have made a demand. Take out the trash. But that's what happens with what we got. We're reluctant to ask because we think our ask will be a, a dem- is actually a demand. So if we ask and he doesn't do it, he didn't, oh man, I wasn't demanding, I was asking. So I have to stop short of demanding, but I have to stop short of doubting, believing and asking. Not doubting, not demanding, believing and asking. Does that make sense? Help me so, so much to finally become settled. What could I ask of the Lord that he could not do? And if I'm asking, why am I hesitant? Do you catch that? Believe and ask. And so... Jack Hayford wrote this. This helped me a lot. He says, we worry about knowing exactly what to pray in some cases because we think we know what we know what to pray in all others. We may at times. But aren't there many times that we have asked imperfectly? You've prayed an imperfect prayer. Who's prayed an imperfect prayer? Yeah, the rest of you have never prayed. <laughs> We've all prayed imperfectly. God was not befuddled. Our ignorance did not clog the wheels of the universe. When we are uncertain as to how boldly we may ask, 
We are saying, I'm afraid to ask for this because I might confuse the Almighty. I may just force his hand to violate his own eternal purposes and suddenly bring our world to a screeching halt when my mightiness of faith has secured an answer on earth which God didn't really want to give. It's as though we somehow think a cosmic accident might occur if we invade heaven with a request that would somehow slip through the machinery of providence without being checked out carefully. Somehow God will find himself awkwardly glancing toward earth, wondering, how did I ever let that happen? I must be more careful about my answers to prayer. Now that's absurd, isn't it? But it's an absurdity that exposes the foolishness of my reluctance to ask. Believing. Not doubting. Believing. Asking, not demanding. Asking. Believing. So, are you? This is... No longer theory. I've tried to teach the biblical principle. Very personal question. Are you or someone you love in a difficult and seemingly impossible situation? Not theoretically. I mean, really, something comes to your mind right now. You or someone you love. And it just seems like it can't happen. It's so hard. It may be, I won't even begin to name. So you know it. If, if you know it, you know it. Here's my question. Do you believe that God can still do the supernatural? Do you believe that? If so, what will you do? You'll ask that he will. You won't demand, but nor will you shrink back like, God, I got to protect you here because you might not want to do it, and then that would be really awkward for you and for me. Asking. Believing. That he quenches fire, shuts lion's mouth, delivers, heals, raises, reunites, restores. Believe and ask. I've prayed with folks who doesn't seem like they can really ask until they get to this kind of emotional pitch of which now I'm really asking fervently. I don't think, there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think we have to try to create some emotional fervor to be able to ask. We believe and we ask. So, very simply, if there is a specific situation in your life or in the life of someone that you love that you are asking God to miraculously intervene. Would you stand in this auditorium and over in North? See, the greatness of God is 
as folks stand is this. He knows, he sees, he knows exactly what's in your heart and your mind right now. He does. He's not blind. He's not distant. He's not impotent. Because I believe that he sees and he cares and he's powerful, I want us to ask. God, forgive us for our, our reluctance or our doubting or our protecting. Let's believe and ask. And so, as you stand there, I invite you to bow and, and let's affirm what we believe. Just quietly there in your seat, would you tell the Lord, you believe that he still does the supernatural. That you believe he loves you. He loves the one you love. That you believe he's a good father. That you believe he can do anything he pleases. You believe his ways are perfect and good and only good. Having affirmed that to him in your own heart, would you now ask him very specifically for miraculous intervention? Heavenly Father, I simply join with my brothers and sisters in this room and over in North that, that we would see you intervene. We're asking that you would bring physical healing. Asking that you would take away the brain tumor. You would remove the cancer. You would restore the health. Asking that you would open the eyes of those who are still dead in their sins, that they'd be born again. We're asking that you would set the addicted, the captive free. Pray that you would set the one who is enslaved in sin to walk in newness of life. Pray that those who feel incredibly weak right now would know your supernatural strength. I ask that those who are confused and uncertain that you would grant wisdom that comes from heaven. For the homes that are coming apart at the seams, marriages that are deteriorating, God, I ask that you would bring reconciliation, that you would bring a humility and a brokenness it would lead to repentance and godly sorrow and love. Pray for your children who are wayward in love with the things of the world. Would you call them back?
Lord, thank you for the privilege to ask, believing that you are a great God and a good Father. And we submit ourselves to you, ask that you would show yourself strong and mighty, powerful in each circumstance, to the praise of your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for believing and asking. Don't usually do this, but please don't skip church next week. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 11, the end of it, I took a real risk in dividing it in half. I've only told you half the truth so far. Please come back next week and be fully informed in the truth. All right? God bless.